If you'd flip over a page in your worship folder, then you'll see our text for this morning from Romans 15, verses 22 to 33. If you have a Bible, then you're welcome to use it, or on your phone, or any other device that you would like. Uh, But as we started off talking about last week, as we are in the last section of the book of Romans, is that Paul has finished, uh, in a lot of ways, unpacking uh, his gospel Um, what it means that Christ came and what is the work that he has done and through him, what does it mean to be part of the people of God, to have peace with God, to be made righteous in his sight by him. And then he's given us several application points of what that means for self and community. And now we are in this this last section of where it gets very personal. Paul's going to name people in in the next chapter, Uh, We'll pick up on next week. Um, He has very specific things to say to this church, and we get a good view of of Paul as a person, Uh, especially here as he is calling the Romans, based on this gospel, to actually uh, put their money where their mouth is, uh, as a way of speaking. And I will say, I set it up this way last time and didn't exactly make clear that Paul is on a support-raising endeavor here. he wanted to teach the Romans, but he also has other motives that he is recruiting support. And one of those could be a variety um, of sorts. But we're going to get here specifically in this passage, which we did not get to last time, about what Paul is actually asking of these people, uh, just in case you're curious. So all that being said, let's go straight to our text, and then we will jump in this morning. Romans fifteen twenty-two to 33. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we again come before you throne and we ask for your help this morning, that you would teach us through your word, that you would fill this place with your spirit, you would draw us closer to you, free us from ourselves, and equip us, uh, that we might delight to do your will and delight in the work that you're up to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was having lunch with uh, one of you this week, or not this week, it was a couple weeks ago, um, and was reminded, uh, as we were commiserating um, I don't really like the news like, at all. Some of you are news junkies. Uh, you really like to keep up with the news and current events. 
I feel like I do what I have to do uh, in order to be a, a good citizen and to know what's going on. But I've just not never been one of those people who enjoys reading the news. Um, and the main reason for this is that there are so many things in, in my immediate sphere um, that demand attention. Um, they're uncertain what's going to happen. I mean, when just a day goes by where, you know, something like, I was just wondering what the news, rather than what news is going on out there, like what's going to happen when I go to the doctor? What's my blood pressure and cholesterol going to be this time? What's going to happen when my kids come home from school? Like, what's going to be the report? Like, what happened in the day? Was it a good day? Was it a bad day? Were they respectful? Were they not? Um, that little light, check engine light on the car that's always trying to give me good news, um, which I just leave that thing on all the time so that it's just constant and I don't have to worry about it that way. Um, but there's a sense as we go about our lives and we, we have responsibilities um, and we really think about it, there's not a lot that's certain. There's a lot to manage. Uh, there are not a lot of reassurances over, you know, are things going to go one way or another way. Uh, there's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to manage a day. Um, and it feels to me like often watching the news is I'm already boiling over in this fear. Why would I then bother myself with what is going on across the ocean somewhere else and just heap on the pile of things that I can't control and that are uncertain um, in the world the way they're going to go? Maybe you feel like that too. Maybe it's not the news. Like Maybe that's something that you really enjoy. But I think there's always that sense with us that our lives... As much as we strive and we are anxious about keeping them together and managing them, we know that to a large extent, it's uncertain what's going to happen. And what that uncertainty does for us often is it pulls us in that the more we feel out of control, the more we feel overwhelmed, the more we shut out things that we can shut out so we can only deal with those things that we feel like we have the capacity to deal with. This is probably how most of us are are coming to this passage in one way or the other. And what we find surprising here is that Paul is doing exactly the opposite. He is recruiting this Roman church to be concerned about places that are way beyond their day-to-day lives. Like things that they have to be concerned about. He wants them to be aware of the struggles of others in other places. He wants them to enter in, even with him, as he goes on his missionary journeys and these kinds of things. He wants an expansion of the awareness of um, the circumstances that are going on around. He is calling these people and he is recruiting to what is, uh, I didn't come up with this phrase, but a missional life. This is a life that is centered into going out, not just managing what is within, but actually inviting more news, more awareness, more efforts, more directions uh, to come from wherever we are or whatever we are doing. And so 
this, I want us to unpack this and just look at Paul and look at what he's doing and how, how is he motivated to do this? Because when what is natural is for us, when we feel like it is uncertainties around us to coil in, then how do we then come out? How does Paul able to have the kind of freedom to come out? Uh, what is motivating him? How does he do this? And what we're going to see here is that the issue has everything to do with God and his mission and what he is up to. And that Paul has actually found that the path to peace doesn't come from circling the wagons and looking in. And that is actually the path to peace to do the opposite, but to join God in what he is up to and to concern himself with God's broader mission. And that is the only sure path to peace. So we're going to, this is what we're going to do. I've got bad news for you first, and that is I have four points. This is the dreaded four-pointed sermon that uh, you want to pretend doesn't exist. Uh, But uh, most of them will be short, and these are, or a couple of them will be, these are aspects of this missional life uh, that I just want to draw attention to or unpack this passage this morning. First is that the missional life is a life of creatureliness, and I'll explain these when we get to them. Second is a life of purpose. Third, it's a life of uncertainty. But four, it is also a life of peace. Uh, So let's jump into these. First, this is a life of creatureliness, and I I recognize that might be a weird word. Um, Before we talk about this, I do think this is an an important point that we notice. Creatureliness, it just means to be a creature according to how we were made. Like we are made to be people with all the things that people were made to do. Um, and Paul is no different. We see here, one of the first things that jumped out to me here is he's kind of this Superman missionary who goes out, he's stopped by nothing. He has this fervent zeal um, for the name of God to be spread everywhere. But at the same time, he's saying things like he longs to go to Rome. He longs to take a break. He longs to be refreshed by just spending time in company with other people. And this is just confirming to us, Paul is still a person. He is still a person consistently with how he has been made. He is made for relationships. He is made for rest. And this is, these are not bad things. These are part of what it means to be a person. And I think all of us know in one way or another, whether it's at home or job, what it is like to live in an environment that feels devitalizing, that just feels like you know, the, the light is going out and that we're not able to flourish here. And we can do two things with that. We can either take the carnal approach and we can just say, I'm going to live for me. I'm going to do whatever I can do to make myself happy. And I'm going to address that in the second point. But the other one sometimes is we can at times embrace this idea that we are living purposefully or missionally or whatever you want to call it enough if we are denying ourselves to the maximum, everything that we can deny. And I, before we go into this, I just want to draw attention to this. This is not what Paul's doing. He's still a person. He longs for people. He hopes to be able to have rest. He hopes to be able to be refreshed, to spend time in conversation and those kind of things. And that this is actually a part of what it means to be living a missional life in God's mission is that it is still to be a person. 
And this is just to say, like for us, these are good things to long for and they're good to pray for. It's not good to be lonely. Sometimes we're called to be lonely. That doesn't mean it's a good thing in itself. It is good to pray for the kind of companionship that God made us for. It is good, even if this is not the purpose all the time, when in community group, you don't do anything, but you just hang out and you enjoy each other. You catch up. That's a good thing. Might not be what you want to do every week, but it's not a bad thing. This is part of what we are made to be as people, to live as creatures. So that's it. That's one. It's a life of creatureliness. But second, it is also a life of purpose. And this is the dominant thing that we that comes out here when we read this, that there is purpose means that it is something outside of Paul that is giving direction to his life, that is determining what decisions that he is going to make. Um, it is not just up to him and what he wants, but there's something else, a broader purpose um, that he follows and that he obeys. Uh, where do we see this? Um, is If you're looking at the passage in your worship folder, you'll miss a little bit of context here. But what Paul has just been saying is that he has, been, he has determined not to work where other people um, are planning churches. He said, I will not build upon the foundation of another. Uh, and that means that he is a church planner. He's going, his own calling is to go where nobody has been before. Um, and for that reason, even though he longs to go to Rome, that he has been prevented from doing so because there's a broader purpose to which he has been called to. It's not an anti-creaturely purpose, but it is a purpose that doesn't originate with him. That God has called him to participate in this mission that God has given him for his name to be known in all people and all places. And sometimes this means that the loneliness lingers and that the refreshment is delayed. While those are good things, there are sometimes... There are are times when, according to the broader purpose to what God has called us to, that we are called to wait. And we are are called to follow something else instead. But it's more than that. Look here at the Gentiles. You see this, uh, what Paul is doing. He is going to, uh, before he comes to Rome, he's going back to Jerusalem, which, if you are following the map here, Paul's probably writing this from Corinth uh, in Greece. Jerusalem is that way to you if you're looking on a map. And Rome and Spain are that way. So he is going miles out of the way in order to deliver this gift that the Gentiles in Greece have given to um, some poor saints in Jerusalem. Why would he do that? And that is how he's explaining this is that the Jews, being a Jewish person, that this... There was something very special about this because this was the people of God that God called out to make his own. And it was through the history of this people uh, that God brought salvation not only to the Jew, but to the Jew and Gentile alike, to all the world through Jesus. And because of this, the Gentiles in Rome and in, 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 in Greece, in an indebted sense of thankfulness that God's history with the Jewish people has come to them, that they are going to return that in material blessings. So that the spiritual blessings that came through the Jewish people that now the Gentiles um, have 
of their own, not of their own doing. Now they're going to give back in the form of material things. So it is both a help, but this is also a symbol that this is like a marriage between the Jew and Gentile, between the physical and spiritual things, all things being put together in common in this new life. And so there's, there's this other sense in which these Gentiles, even putting Paul to the side, they have recognized that this faith that they have inherited, it requires something of them, even their stuff. That even they view their stuff in a different way. That it's not there to serve just their own ends anymore, but that it is now part of this whole family, this whole new reality that has been created um, from Jesus as he has put Jew and Gentile together, reconciled in Christ. But beyond this, we see a third character here. The Romans here, Paul is writing to them, um, and he is asking them that they would help him on, the, on his way, on his missionary journey. And this would have involved money. Uh, this would have involved uh, travel arrangements. This might have involved uh, companionship to go with him on his way, food, whatever it would have taken in order uh, for his journey to be able to make it to Spain. And so we can think about this. This is like um, the missionaries that come through and they, they will raise support um, and they're asking for help. They would be drawing our attention to a work that is going on in another place and they would be asking for our help in, um, in money or in connections or any other way that we can. So we see these three characters, Paul, the Gentiles, and the Romans, in three very different ways, that there is something that is a call on them that is beyond just their immediate needs and their immediate everyday purpose. And that in in different ways, uh, however big or how small, that now they owe an allegiance to something that is greater, a broader mission of what God is up to, to bring his name to all places, every person, over everything. And just to illustrate, it's hard to think about this in terms other than uh, some kind of a wartime effort. Um, if you've watched on TV, uh, World War II or something like that, where there's, there's a battle going on over there, but it involves everybody in different ways. Like even down to, you know, before you throw away a piece of trash, but to think, is this useful in some way? Does this contribute to the effort um, in some way uh, that would be helpful. It's because there is a, through all the diversity, there is a broader purpose of which all the people of God have been called to that, is, that affects every, as, every area and every aspect of life. And what did this mean for us? Those are, so we're going to step back from the passage and we're going to ask some questions about this and what does this mean uh, for us in our, in our place now? And that is when we understand this, is, is we have to understand the mission of God and what he is about. And notice this is not the same thing as missions, like with an S on the end, where uh, we send missionaries out to different endeavors. Like that, is, that is a wonderful thing, and I think Paul is specifically calling us to support endeavors like that in this passage. But there's part of something much bigger. And that what God is up to, what he has been up to from the beginning to the world and what he is up to in the end, is that every aspect of his creation that has been broken will see the light of his name in that place. It will be reformed in a way according to uh, the design in which it it originally intended. 
So this is a verbal proclamation on one hand of communicating the gospel, but it also affects what we do every day. It affects what we do in our jobs, like the way we treat people justly, the way we clean up after ourselves, the way we take care of our homes, uh, everything we do, the way we interact with each other in relationships, that we do these things because God has an ownership of those things. We believe that he is on a mission to set them right. So this applies to absolutely everybody, everything we do every day. And that God's name will be known through what we say and what we do, even on a local basis. So this includes our homes, our work, our friendships, the way we take care of the planet, our neighbors, all these things. On a local level. It includes our local economy, our local politics, all those things. They are all under the umbrella of the kingdom of God. But it is not just local. And I think that is what Paul wants us to see today. Because the local things in themselves, they take up a lot of time and a lot of bandwidth and a lot of anxiety. But what he is calling these people to think about is that there are also other places, there are other works that are different from our work, And even though we don't participate them in the same way, even though we are not called to them in the same way, they are still a part of this great work that God is up to. In a different way, they're actually a part of our work. And that when we have a missionary come through, then they're doing a very different task than maybe we are doing every day, but it's all part of the same mission. It is a part of the same family. It is a part of the same hope that God's name would go into every places just the same way that it came to us. And that this is actually a wonderful thing for us, a great purpose that we have on our lives to think about, to consider, to be aware um, what God is doing in other places is even beyond our own walls. That it is something that we are called to help support, financially, materially, any other way. It is something we are called to pray for. And when he uses the word strive with, this is like the kind of praying that is like putting our own shoe, putting ourselves in the same position as the others are that are in that place. Is that even from a different place, it's like we are taking them, their uh, burdens on as our own and struggling with them in prayer. There is a broader purpose that no matter where we are, whatever work we have, whatever we have right in front of us, um, that we fit into something that is much, much, much bigger. And Paul is calling us, I think, in here, is to think broadly, think outside of ourselves, um, think outside of the things that we might easily pay attention to, and to take note of the bigger work of God that he is working in all places. It's a life of creatureliness and a life of purpose. But third, and briefly, this is more of a transition point, as we said in the beginning, it is a life of uncertainty. And that there are no guarantees how this is going to work out. And while there is an ultimate call that God's work will be successful in every way he intends, we don't always know what that's going to be. I think we know that intuitively, and we know that when we look at our own lives, but this is actually told to us here in this passage. I mean, one, obviously, when Paul says he has wanted to come to Rome, he's been making plans, but he keeps getting um, thwarted by one way or another. What he wants to do, God keeps calling him to wait and say, at a time, but I have a different purpose for you now. And he doesn't know always what that's going to be or when that's going to be. 
But even more strikingly, when we get down here into verse 30, um, Paul asks for three things. He asks that he would have deliverance when he goes to Jerusalem from the unbelieving Jews. He asks that they would accept the gift when he gets there. Um, and then he asks that he would be able to make it to Rome and be refreshed in the Romans' company. And we actually know what happened because we have the latter half of the book of Acts. We can trace Paul on his way. And that he was delivered, but he was imprisoned. He was opposed time and time again. Three times he was delivered from a lynching mob who wanted to lynch him when he was in Jerusalem. There was a plot to kill him when he was in Jerusalem that the Lord again miraculously delivered him from. So it's like, in a way, he was delivered, but it came in ways that he did not expect, and he never, maybe he expected it, he certainly didn't plan it and certainly didn't desire it. And the last thing he prayed for as well, just refreshment to reach Rome, and he wanted to come, and he did end up making it to Rome, but he came three years late. He came as a prisoner, and only after a shipwreck that almost killed him. There's a lot of uncertainty. Where there's an ultimate sense that God will work what he wants to, that even in these details, um, it is hard to know what God is going to do. Many of us feel like the own four walls of our house are anxious enough. We can't control what goes on in there. We feel out of control. We don't know what is coming down the pipeline. Sometimes our job feels like it sucks everything out of us just to keep it going. Uh, in order to look outside at anything else. The fight for survival is indeed a fight. Even just thinking about, you know, as we aspire to minister to the city, ministering to this city is hard enough as it is. Like, we, don't, we don't always know what to do. Like, how would we think about other things when what was right in front of us is so uncertain? It is we have to recognize that there is an element of uncertainty in this missional life about following God and what he is up to as he is on mission. But the last point here, it is at that point in the middle of this uncertainty, though, that Paul gives this little verse at the very end. After all this, he says, and may the peace of God be with you all and whatever you're going to do. Now, how, how does that make sense? I kind of feel like if you've seen the movie Airplane, um, with Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, the plane is going down and it's crashing and Leslie Nielsen keeps popping up and being like, just wanting you to know, good luck. We're all counting on you. You're like, thanks. Um, how does he say, with all of these struggles that he is facing, all the uncertainty that surrounds his life, to have peace, to rest in the peace of God? How does God offer peace um, in these endeavors? Actually, ten times in Romans, Paul mentions peace as one of the attributes of, of being a part of the people of God, the attributes of the salvation brought by Jesus. Forty-six times in his other letters, he talks about peace as an attribute of a life um, of Christ, of being owned by Christ. How does this work? I think this is this. What Paul has realized is that there is a peace that is outside of him that has been worked out by God himself. And that the same God that is on mission, he has ensured through his son on the cross that it will be successful. 
He has raised him to be the king. He has defeated all the powers. He gets the ultimate say on anything. He is the king. And he is able to pronounce these things. Like because of Jesus, there is no height nor depth, no uh, life or death. Angels, demons, powers, any rulers can separate his people from the love of Christ. That there is an objective sense that in Jesus, that, Paul, that God has taken the authority over all uncertainty, anything that is going to thwart him on his way. But the thing about this is, and that's good, we can let that wash over us again and again and again and consider um, and take rest in the fact that God is in control and that he is powerful and he is the king. But I think what Paul is, has gotten is that there is a subjective experience to feeling peace that is hard to come by, even knowing that is, that, that is the case. How do we take that and actually experience the peace of Christ? And I really think this has everything to do with the fact that Paul has realized that the peace of God is not something that is just beamed down into a specific moment to whatever we're doing, whatever, we're, whatever purposes we have for our own lives of saying that it's going to be okay, all your wildest dreams are coming true. I think what Paul has realized is that if that this God who has done that, this God who has taken the authority, and that this God who is on mission to make his name known in every place, over everything, in every way, that experiencing that peace has much more to do with Paul getting in line with what God is up to than it is anxiously waiting and worrying about getting God in line with Paul and what he is up to. That there is a freedom that comes with being married to the purposes of God, of learning to love the purposes of God and what Paul is up to. There's a sense of peace that comes of being right smack in the middle of what God is up to and what he wants to do for us. Because it is those purposes that cannot be thwarted. It is those purposes that will never fail. And the more we think about ourselves, the more we angle our purposes to ourselves to try to get um, this kind of sense of peace that we want doing whatever we want, that it is always going to ultimately come down to us. It is always going to take more work. It is always going to take more worry. And there is only one person that is going to be found out when it doesn't work. And that is us. But even though it seems counterintuitive that this God, who out of mercy came down and made peace with us, who established his mission through Jesus, and who calls people like you and me to himself, that the peace actually comes from loving what God loves from learning to love what God loves, from being right in the middle of what he is up to. And how do we do that? Again, there are small ways that we can do this. Um, this is God is not calling everybody to go to the other side of the world and be a missionary, but uh, so he might. He might do that. And that is, a, that is a real possibility. But there is something about, even though we feel overwhelmed, of going to sit with somebody else who is lonely, just to sit with them and just to spend time and to encourage. 
that takes our eyes off of the problems on our own and puts them on the object of another. And in that participation of what God is doing, that there is actually freedom from the uncertainty, the anxiety in ourselves. And it is taking it off ourselves and entrusting it with God, with his purposes, his plans, what he is up to. This could mean in just supporting a missionary. This could mean praying, being aware. I mean, I remember being greatly encouraged by a friend of mine who was moving to Tokyo, just explaining what it is like to be Japanese and to work and live in that environment and these few examples of what God is up to there. I've never been to Tokyo. Like, I might never go. But to be able to see God at work here, there, and everywhere is encouraging. And it sheds a new light on the current place. It gives a new hope and a new sense of peace to see him, to see him on the move. The way that he is here just like he is in other places. The issue here has most everything to do with what we love. And God wants us, the God who so loved us that he gave himself for us, what he wants from us is the freedom to be able to turn our loves off of ourselves and entrust them with him. Because it is only in him where success is guaranteed. It is only in him where there will be a sense of freedom that whatever it is, whatever uncertainty, whatever seeming detour, whatever obstacle comes in the way is actually a contributor toward an end rather than a detractor from what we want to do. Is the love of God that's poured out for us through Jesus um, that is the object. And through that, um, it is the power to be able to free us that our hearts would be unchained and that we would be able to notice uh, the work and the goodness of what he is up to in every place. Um, I'll stop there. I think we should go to him and ask that he would help, um, that he would help us to do that. Father, again, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your love that you have given to us. Thank you that you have not stopped with us, but that you continue to move. And I ask for each of us in this room and for Red Mountain Church that you would bring us along the way, that you would change and transform our delights into the things that you take delight in and the mission that you are up to so that we could be excited and we could hope anew. In Jesus' name, amen.